What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name's Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, aka Cranjus McBasketball. And Tim, we are recording this post-trade deadline 2021. Turned out to be actually the busiest trade deadline ever, which I thought was interesting. Saw like this cool chart about like number of teams involved in a trade was like 23. Ton of movement, but it seems that the biggest deal of the day was the deal that didn't happen with Kyle Lowry and the Lakers. Uh, and I talked about just last time about how much implication this has for the Lakers' future going forward because of decisions like Dennis Schroeder. And you saw even KCP and THT uh, get wrapped into this and THT sounding like the sticking point between having Kyle Lowry on the Lakers right now. So just really quick before we dive into like what this means for this current team in the future, the paths open to them and maybe who might be available. What did you think about the trade that didn't happen uh, this week for the Lakers? I liked what Daryl Morey said from the Sixer point of view. Uh, and, you know, Lakers just played the Sixers too, so there's a connection there with them trading for George Hill and not Lowry. And he didn't say names, but he talked about trying to find the right balance between winning this year, optimizing winning this year, but also optimizing your window for the next two to four years. And I would imagine from a, a mindset standpoint, the Lakers were thinking a similar thing. And I am more in the camp of like – I don't know how many of those guys that you would have been trading away you'll be able to keep this next offseason. Like between uh, KCP, Caruso, Schroeder, and THT, that group of players, you may not bring some back. And if you don't win a title this year and then some of them leave and you're not able to add on and replace them, you you like lose total asset value there. And as opposed to potentially trading some for Kyle Lowry, bringing in a guy that his – timeline with his age and he is older but his timeline and his skill set and his level of talent and impact right now is still strong and it aligns with LeBron James's so I would understand if the Lakers you know I understand why the Lakers wanted to grab him I understand why they didn't pull the trigger and give THT in because they really believe in him and from what they've said from their actions they, they truly believe in what he has to offer yeah I think I was leaning a little bit more towards like I might pull this trigger because one, I don't know if we'll be able to bring everybody back next year. And two, just from like a timeline standpoint, I think Lowry would have helped Lakers win a title this year, maybe next year. Whereas THT, he's going to be helping us win titles a little bit further down the line in a way that doesn't quite match up with LeBron's peak title. And we're not even at the LeBron peak title timeline, but for the Lakers, you'd want it to be a little bit more front loaded. Um, it's okay to mortgage that future a little bit if you can win those titles now because a lot of teams aren't winning titles now or later. So if you can really go all in and, and go for something like that, like I, I understand that. That said, I wasn't all the way in that direction. I was kind of leaning that way, but I was still a bit torn. So I don't have any gripes with how it was handled. Um, but you just have to live with what it is now and, and understand that THC is going to see an additional level of scrutiny because of that and because that was public. And uh, we just got to hope the Lakers can – cash in now, win the title anyway, and still have those assets down the line because then they, you, you know, looking back, we can say they really won this situation. It's exactly the way I see it. Uh, kind of framing things as 
Lowry on the LeBron timeline and Schroeder, KCP are on the AD timeline. And just generally the team is on the AD timeline right now. I know they have some older guys in a Gasol or Matthews, but ultimately those are, you know, this year and, and, and not long-term, you know, kind of what do you call it? Commitments. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. Uh, I'm torn. I, I love Kyle Lowry, but you know, as Windhorse, I believe, reported, getting him, he's expecting a somewhere in the two-year $50 million extension uh, because he's coming up this season. And like you said, 35-year-old, still a very high-impact player, uh, a great kind of guy to, to to IQ fit around to LeBron. But it's it's a big gamble, $50 million, two years. You know, we yeah. got some experience with this. <laughs> this contract's not working out. That'd be an overpay. And Lowry, Lowry's interesting because he's gone from being underrated for what he would provide year in, after year in, year out. His his like LeBron or his PIPM values or like those the, his his Raptor, all that stuff was very high. He was a high impact guy, impacted the game in a ton of different ways, was truly a, a full player on both sides of the court and with his effort and IQ and scoring and shooting and playmaking, all of those things. He's now at the point where that's dipped a bit. And he's probably now more properly uh, rated. Um, he had always been underrated. Now he's kind of about where people think he was to start with. Um, and actually, over the past two weeks since we've rerun our LeBron impact data, he's dropped more than almost, I think, all but one or two players in the whole league. So I think looking at his data today doesn't give you a good sense for where he is as a player because – over that two week time span, his life and his situation changed drastically in terms of like, all right, like I'm out of here. This isn't working. This team's not winning. And from that point, like he had been doing well. And then all of a sudden you see his impact drop off a cliff. I have, uh, you know, that has something to do with that. Um, so he's, he's going to be in Toronto for the rest of the year. Maybe his impact will go back up a little bit. I struggle to see him getting the money he wants to get in the off season. Um, and same thing with Schroeder, honestly. He, he's going to be someone that wants to be a Laker long term, but also wants to play the market a bit and believes that he is worth a lot of money and probably worth the money that he could be worth if he were hitting threes this year like he hit threes last year. But he's kind of fallen off in a couple of key areas, and I think that's created a disconnect, which has led to why we haven't seen the Lakers and Schroeder's camp agree on an extension to this point. So uh, that's another situation with another guy that, you know, the Lakers still have and might be a a tricky situation moving forward in terms of paying him uh, for the future. Yeah. I mean, they don't have a way to replace him. Of course they have his Mm -hmm. bird rights, so they can retain him while, you know, staying over the cap, all that is very valuable. THT 20 years old, you know, KCP might be struggling, but he's shown to be uh, exactly what they want from him in his role and come up in big moments before. So it's a big pushing all your chips in when I think if you're the Lakers, you still believe and you should when healthy, this team is constructed to compete for a championship and not have to make that decision right now. So, you know, let's play it out. We got Schroeder for a reason. I still think a lot of the ways that he struggles, how he struggles, attacking the rim, forcing shots is overall good for the Lakers, because as we're seeing recently, it's hard for them to get shots at the rim outside of Dennis Schroeder. And um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I, you even just kind of saying like where he was last year in three point shooting, I think it was like closer to 38 percent or something like that. Like just imagining that right now for this team would be so, so helpful. But alas, it is not the case. Um, yeah, I just wanted to bring up the, the Lowry case because it's an interesting team construction you know, decision you have to make. And it actually sounds because you saw George Hill go to the Sixers early, uh, at least in relation to the actual deadline. So you knew Lowry hadn't been traded. The Sixers are out. George Hill went to the Sixers and then the Heat weren't out, but it seemed like the Lakers were in the lead. And the sticking point seemed to be the inclusion of THT which the Lakers, like you said, have shown, um, you know, dedication to. And uh, I'm, I'm OK with that. I'm, a, you know, a lot of Laker fans are worried about, you know, keeping their head above water for this next period uh, without LeBron and AD. And I'm not sure Kyle Lowry coming in. Yes, that helps. He's the kind of guy. But, you know, him and integrating with these other players, learning the defense, you know, as well. It's it's not going to, you know, 
come in and all of a sudden make you uh, a 500 above 500 team. So, yep, yep. I, I, and we're going to be talking buyout guys in a second here. If you do make that trade, you have some more roster spots to fill. So it wouldn't just be integrating Lowry. It would be integrating Lowry, some other new players that aren't super high caliber, which is why they're available in the buyout market with the rest of the existing healthy team. So it, it would have been a challenging situation either way. I just I like that Palinka didn't panic trade anything, you know, because of this desperation they they do and should ha- feel right now. Like this team mm-hmm. is in a desperate spot, and it they could fall to like you know a low seed. I'm not going to put a number because it could be anything for all I know. I have an idea. If I was trying to do the math and I was looking through the schedule, if the Lakers go like six and ten over the next sixteen games, which I think based on who we're playing would make around some sense and that might be around when LeBron returns and Dallas and Portland keep winning let's say if they win if they go like 10 and 6 over that span we are dropping from like I think we're the five right now we would be seven eight territory by the time LeBron returns I don't think it's going to get lower than eight but depending on how well those couple teams play the Lakers can certainly drop pretty substantially from the like one two three seed that that the Lakers have been in the past so I'm anticipating you know when he when LeBron does come back it's going to be go time and he's going to be wanting to ramp back up but the team needs to start winning soon because you do not want to be in one of those playing games and I think you also don't want to be playing the the top seed or two in the playoffs we'll we'll talk about other teams not wanting to play the Lakers which is very valid and and very valid makes a bunch of sense but if the if you're the Lakers you also don't want to have to play those top couple teams for the first round so it's going to be a tricky situation the short term the long term the Lakers have needs and this is a buyout market that I think has guys that can fill some of those needs and that's how I'm going to be trying to think about this like all right of who's available or who might be available because there's certain players that have you know they're rumored that they'll be bought out they haven't bought, been bought out yet Drummond's a guy that has been bought out Gorky Jang was bought out a couple minutes ago um We'll still kind of cover who we think will be available based on different reporting from from different sources. But I'm looking at like shooting. Are you going to add to our shooting? Because I think the Lakers need some help with shooting. Are you going to be able to add to our ball handling or playmaking, which is something that I think is more shorter term concern with LeBron out particularly Um, in the playoffs? Not as worried about it, but that's a, a nice short term thing that there are some guys that might be able to address. And then from a big man I think post defense would be helpful. Um, maybe some playmaking. I, I think you can debate different things about the big man options, but I, I think post defense is one of the bigger consensus items that I hear. Do you have somebody that can go in and defend the post in a way we know Montrezl Harrell hasn't been able to do? Marcus All can do. AD can do. That's about it right now. So w- w- that's I think where I am in. That's the, the the framing I'm taking with looking at these bio candidates. How about how about for you, Tom? Um, the framing I'm looking at, and that's important to note, Tim, we're recording this about 2 PST uh, on Friday afternoon. So Andre Drummond did just get bought out, but he is not officially signed with the Lakers. Framework I'm operating under is he does sign with the Lakers. I've heard other teams, you know, like Celtics, Knicks. Uh, I just He's going to be pitched. Yeah, the, he, he's going to hear uh, offers from, I think there were four or five different teams, but he is... I think all the reporting so far has said he's leaning Lakers. So that kind of takes some of those other guys off the board. Like Gorgie Dane might be interesting, you know, like he's, he's not a terrible piece. I think he could do some things the Lakers need. Um, And Whiteside is another guy maybe, you know, but ultimately I think that Drummond piece does end up falling. And you, you had a tweet this week asking, what would Andre Drummond do for the Lakers exactly? Uh, and where does I he help the most? Where does he help the most? Okay, it's a tomato, tomato. Okay, uh, I asked. I said what you were really saying. You you uh, know what I'm thinking, but I just yeah. wanted to. Yeah. I wanted to clarify. That. You you had to frame the question without initial bias, as to not taint the. Yeah. Uh, but the bias coming is information. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. Be frank. The bias <laughs> is there. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. But um. I said playmaking and you said you think you agree. And in this short term, even having a guy who, God, 
it's not going to be pretty, but he can take that many shots a game. He's just like no one else on this team has done that before. I'm serious. It's not good, but they're just not like Kyle Kuzma can't just take 15 to 20 shots every game. And like, you know, he'd be forcing it at that point. And Andre Drummond can force it. It's not a good argument. I know it's not good. He's but one of the worst post players in the league but, on high volume. Like it's it's bad offense. It's not that good. Ass, the scoring piece of it is bad offense. And it's, we talked about this good. on the last pod. There are it, for optimal Drummond experience. You want to slice and dice what he does to get some of those better pieces of it going into this situation without LeBron now. I don't know if we see that. Yeah, no, they're more uh, likely to just let him be, you know, let him off the leash, so to speak, uh, because they might need that more. But it at least gives you some playmaking when LeBron and AD are back. The playmaking is a strength on this team already. So you build strength on strength sometimes, or mm-hmm. at least that is an argument to be had there, where yep. I do think if they could, you probably sacrifice some of that playmaking for some more shooting. Like you said, I, I agree. So if we operate under the assumption that Andre's dr- Drummond is coming to the Lakers, Tim, <laughs> how else do you frame the rest of the roster or t- tell me, how do you, you know, utilize Andre Drummond in the, the near future in the playoff future? Yeah, that's a good question. His playmaking is where I'd start. And if I had to, stylistically fit it in or, or liken it to someone else. He's actually a really good Marcus all comp. Hmm. And, and, and in terms of the types of passes he'll be trying to make, it's a lot from the top of the key. It's a lot from the elbows and it's actually a, a good bit from the low post. He's, He's Marcus. It, it, Marcus saw in the past, over the past couple of years, he's done some facilitating from the low post, and then he's tried to post up a bit, and it wasn't good offense. This year with the Lakers, they've taken him away from that posting up a bit, and they've allowed him to continue to be a playmaker, just more from the perimeter. Drummond is Gasol from a year or two ago, where he's still doing some of that low post playmaking, and he's good at it. Um, he differs from Gasol in that he's a little bit less. Like he'll try to thread a bunch of needles and he'll make a lot of those passes. And it's really impressive. His efficiency on those is a little bit lower than Gasol. Not a, it's a lot lower than Gasol. And he also doesn't have, he's not a three point shooting threat. So if you're guarding him, you can sag off a bit more. And if you're a center, a defending center, you might get your hand in some, some passing lanes. And I think that's another piece of why his efficiency is a little bit lower, but he's going to fit in really well as Gasol is ramping up his minutes as he builds his stamina back up um, to do that same sort of playmaking fit right into the existing playbook that the Lakers have been trying to run. And you don't have to build out a new corner of the playbook for Andre Drummond. You just stick him in the same Marcus Gasol plays. And I think that's valuable as he eases in, as Gasol works his minutes back up. And then from lineup to lineup, being able to have that consistency in terms of the playmaking from that center position allows you to run similar plays and, and gives your guys a bit of consistency. So I think that's where I'd start. His rebounding is the other thing that gets a lot of attention. He individually pulls in a bunch of rebounds and looking at his success rate on rebounds, it is high and adjusting for the different variables at play using RB ball index, defensive rebounding success rate plus minus metric, also very high. He's he's an elite individual rebounder. The question then becomes, does that translate to team impact? Because, and like we've seen this with Russell Westbrook, we've seen this with other players in the past where like, yeah, they'll get good volume, but are those empty calories? Are those empty stats? Or are they truly able to impact the game in a positive way? And when we look at how that metric looks for him, um, his real adjusted defensive rebounding rate, which is it's it's looking at all the different combos of players on the court and seeing you know when he's out there, how does he help the team's rebounding? This year, it's been higher than 61% of players, which for a big man is pretty mediocre. Um, and this has been the trend for him in the past. This isn't a this year thing. It's been the past five, six seasons. He'll give you average to slightly above average versus everybody uh, team defensive rebounding impact. As an individual rebounder, he's going to get a bunch of attention and accolades, but the, the impact isn't quite as there. So that's more of an empty, I don't know, a, a more of an empty skill set to me. And the Lakers have been ninth in defensive rebounding rate this year. So it's not like we've been super weak in a specific area. So he does add something there I'm just not like if, if if I'm looking at what the Lakers need to add to win a title or play better over the next couple games the playmaking matters way more than me way more to me than that defensive rebounding I think that's where I'd start with him those those couple areas because that's kind of what he's about 
I think you can see how the Lakers kind of do need some rebounding, at least in that game against Philadelphia, uh, really got punished uh, on the offensive glass. So I, I, I see where you're coming from. The, the thing with me with Drummond as well is, and, and tell me if there's something that I can look to to kind of quantify this, but there are things that he can do on the rebounding front that aren't just rebounding the head aheads engaging into transition mm. yep. he can rebound and actually put the ball on the floor and push or if a ball gets deflected out and he's the nearest guy and he's near the three-point line he can push that transition and he's not a dwight howard or a javel mcgee who are gonna awkwardly lumber up if they have like a runway he like i'm not saying he's you know kevin duran either I, like, he just can push the ball up and make plays to some degree, uh, you know, more athletically than a Mark Gasol can and and getting past deflections, starting transitions. So there's yep. other parts of him in the rebounding front with transition offense and hopefully like mimicking LeBron to some extent with some hit aheads, like just having some more sense of normalcy where, yeah, Drummond, like he gets a lot of the percentage of the rebounds available, but it's about what he does after that, that. He hasn't really had a ton of guards around him to push pace. You know, he's never played with a guy like KCP on, or he has played with KCP. That's what I mean. <laughs> you know, like literally played with KCP, but in the, the, the new Lakers KCP of get up the court, like fly up, you know, they have these principles of, okay, Drummond, if you're going to close out two, three point shooter, you leak out and, you know, hopefully we can have somebody else throw it up to you. So I, I, I don't know exactly where I would look to find some of those things, you know, his hit ahead percentage, but yeah, no, no, you're bringing up the right points. And I, I forgot to mention that with the playmaking, that's the other big thing he does. That does remind me of Marcus Gasol a little bit. He'll rebound and then outlet to all yeah. the way to half court and get the transition offense going. And we see that in the pace impact estimate stat from 538, which up until this year, they had available. This year, they haven't published it, so we don't have that. Um, but last season, his pace impact estimate was higher than 81% of players. And that's not because he's like a De'Aaron Fox, you know, going to speed down with the ball in his hands. It's because of those defensive rebounds to outlet passes and then also from him playing passing lanes really well. And that has been that piece of his game. The playing passing lanes has always been something that he's been really strong with. He's super quick hands as a uh, big man. He tricked our like perimeter defensive talent grade 1.0 that we used to have at B-Ball Index where it was like, you know, steals and deflections and things like that make you it's more activity. He did really he well on that stuff. He, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was one of those like, man, come on, like it's too ah, good. <laughs> you're forcing us to get better because this is not good. Um, this season, 96 percentile passing lane defense, 90th percentile pickpocket rating. So like on ball, off ball, he's generating turnovers and it's helpful. Yeah. And, and that's just like the uh, defensive rebounding success rate plus minus. That's the individual side of it. When we look at the team impact side of it for his, Turnover generation, it's there too. 88th percentile real adjusted turnover rate. So when he's on the court, his his team is generating way more turnovers than when he's off the court. And I think that's really helpful. So he's limited in terms of the screen coverages he'll be able to run. He's a pure drop big. When he's been used outside of that, it's been real bad. And when he's been used as a drop big, it hasn't been fantastic. He's he's a weaker interior defender kind of guy for big man. Um, his his rim protection stuff is about average for a big. Um, but he's going to make up for that with those defensive rebounds to outlet passes and those quick hands. So on the defensive end of things, that's kind of those are the pros. Those are the cons. His post defense used to be good. 2013, 2014, 2014, 2015. He was a pretty solid post defender. The past three, four, five seasons, his data looks much more mediocre. And I was able to get my hands on some of the second spectrum data looking at his his uh, suppression of opposing uh, shooters. So like you get the ball in the post against him. He just shuts you down. He can't even get a shot off. It looks at that. And then also when you are shooting, how efficient are you compared to where where second spectrum thinks you should be? So he's been about average. He's 49th percentile over the past two seasons. Um, that's 
uh, a little bit below Anthony Davis, 61st percentile. It's below Marcus All, 81st percentile. Dwight Howard's way up there. Montrose Harrell's way down, 26th percentile. And it's comparable to Gorgie Jang, 45th percentile. Lamarcus Aldridge, 46th percentile. And it's lower than like Hassan Whiteside or Damian Jones or like even a Kelly Olenek, actually. Um, those are three guys that have been better post defenders than Drummond. So that's another thing I've heard thrown out that the results are, don't quite show up with, but he would be a step up from Trez in that specific area. Are you talking yourself into him at all? Or is it still just like, or like who would you, what like day is Damian Jones, the answer we're seeing some actually a little bit more higher profile guys getting available with dang. Like we mentioned, mm-hmm. you might see Aldridge, although I think he will go to Miami, but uh, yeah. I, what else is the path in Tim land? So the path in Timland among the bigs is if you want playmaking, Drummond's your guy. And Drummond, just like we talked about, has a specific style of playmaking that matches what the team already has in a, in a good way, I see. If you want a like lob threat or a post defender or a good finisher at the rim, Drummond's not your guy. You'd want to look more at like a white side or a Damian Jones. If you're looking for spacing, Aldridge... Muscala, maybe a Linux. He's been good in the past this year. His threes haven't fallen, but he'll probably be better moving forward. Those are some of the guys you're looking at. If you're looking for more of a versatile ball screen defender, a Linux there. Uh, Gorgie Jang actually will run a bunch of different coverages. Jones uh, is capable of that. Whereas Drummond, Whiteside, Aldridge, those are drop bigs. Um, but when I compare Drummond with Aldridge, I think it's an interesting comp because one spaces the floor, one doesn't. Both so Drummond gets the defensive rebounding attention and from, from folks seeing his raw numbers, Aldridge actually has better defensive rebounding uh, team impact data and has for years. So he's a better defensive rebounder. Um, he also spaces the floor. He'd be a, a, a pop threat, a spot up guy, um, comparable post defense and 49th percentile versus 46th percentile. And they're both average rim protectors. So I, I think Aldridge is probably heading to Miami and it seems like the Lakers are certainly more focused on Drummond than Aldridge, but I, I mean, head to head unless you really want that playmaking, which you could, and, and I can see as being beneficial. Aldridge beats out Drummond in a lot of similar areas and then has a couple things that Drummond wouldn't have. Um, if you're looking for that roll and cut big, which I think the Lakers should add, I, I think you want a post defender is how I'd look at this. And I'm looking at Whiteside or Jones, I think for that. So I, I think if, I don't know, it's Drummond, Whiteside, Jones, or Aldridge would be where I focused my attention. And I probably wouldn't have Drummond at the top, but if he comes, he can do some things. I just don't see, I don't know, they're, they're somewhat redundant and they're not adding value in a playoff setting. It's it's Drummond is like, if you think Marcus Gasol is washed, you're going to love Andre Drummond coming in because you think he'll be able to do the things that Marcus Gasol can do, but you don't think can do. Or if you think Montrezl Harrell just isn't going to be able to play at all in the playoffs and you need someone to just come in and be a body and you're forgetting that Anthony Davis is going to play center, you're going to love Andre Drummond. I just I don't see the path and I'm, I'm being a little condescending, but it's I don't know. I can't I can't get there. There's no upside. It's very much a short term solution. And if that's how it's framed, I can get behind it and I think it'll add some value. But I think I'd rather have Aldridge short term. Um, what, what's funny, though, is I think that. I actually kind of think that Andre Drummond happens whether LeBron and AD are out or not. And now that they are, it's a lot more forgivable. Yeah. You don't go get Whiteside or Jones to help short term now that LeBron's out. And to be fair, Whiteside hasn't been bought out yet. And I know like buyout season is still kind of like in the full swing. So, Mm -hmm. but the Kings made some, some kind of seller moves with Bielitsa and, you know, some other stuff They. They're out of it, but not really like full tanking. They're just kind of coasting. So I could see them just, you know, playing it out, get, you know, giving them a chance to, to bring him back next year or something. Yeah. Can I add one last thing with Drummond? Yeah. I think it's fair to look at the context he's been in and say that's not playing with AD and LeBron. His, you know, the Indeed. spacing and how he's going to be set up is going to be better in LA. And I think that's fair. Where I still have concern with him from like a finishing standpoint is that his difficulty adjusted finishing at the rim rating at B-Ball Index, first percentile this year, lower than 99% of players. The year before, 
12th percentile. The year before that, 9th percentile. The year before that, 3rd percentile. He has not finished well at the rim in five years. And you're going to get him higher quality looks once LeBron does come back in a month. Um, But he's underperforming on easy looks, hard looks. It's, you know, his shot difficulties differed over the past four years. His underperforming those shots has been relatively consistent. So don't, he, he's been one of the worst finishers at the year rim this year, just in the raw data. I wouldn't expect that to change too much given what we've seen with him, but I'm, I'm hoping to be wrong and would be excited if, if he's able to somewhat turn it around because he's been better at other aspects of his game in the past. Well, the, like I mentioned before, there's a big difference between being the number one option on offense for a bad team and being the number five or six option on a good team. And I'm not saying he will beat that five or six, you know, right now, he obviously he comes in much higher than that, but it's a big deal. And that's kind of where I was coming from with the slice and dicing up his game. Like everyone who's ever really played with LeBron, who's not a superstar sliced and diced their game. Like, it's just kind of a part of like, it's a conversation with LeBron. Like this is what works this is what doesn't like huge basketball IQ. I'm not saying that as a bad thing, but uh, I, I can see just the, the short term bandaid making sense and them explaining to themselves like, look, we can slice and dice you to be helpful for us and still give you a chance to get like yeah. a mid-level deal next year or something. So he so he's going from uh, in Cleveland. He's I think right now he's second in scoring possessions per per game. So like he sat for a bit. His total possessions are third right now, but second he's in that two three range with Garland. Going from the number one, two slash maybe three guy to LA, where where is he going to be in most lineups on the court? Third, I, fourth, r- right fifth? now second or third, but it like full strength probably fourth or fifth. And if he is fourth or fifth full strength, where like d- does that allow him to operate with the ball in his hands at the low post or high post? Um, I don't like. I, I don't think that would be an effective way to use your fourth or fifth. Guy. Well, that's like I, how they use Marcus All. To your point, but he can space the floor as like a top of the key playmaker. They don't have Marcus All doing low post stuff, and I think that's the that's the one piece of it where I need to see Andre Drummond's playmaking style shift just slightly in the same way that Gasol's did from last year to this year. If I mean, Drummond's still that, probably I, he's still I'm probably worried. better at the rim than Gasol, right? Mm-mm. No, just nope. more volume, just more volume. Well, hey, I wonder how 20 that changes. scoring possessions a game time. because again, no, 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 again, that's a, he's not getting 20 possessions for the Lakers. And he if the five that he will get will be significantly better. She looks like you said. So it's there's no way to say exactly what it will be yet. Yeah. But um, Gasol's scoring at the rim 32nd percentile this year, 42nd percentile the year before, 23rd percentile, 43rd percentile. It hasn't been I mean, great. Like, it's been below that, average. Does that factor in volume though? Because he gets it, one every four games. It does. No, 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 no. This does. Okay. It's like Gasol isn't good at finishing at the rim. Yeah. But he's substantially better than what Andre Drummond has been the past couple of years. So if if Marcus Gasol coming in isn't suddenly like a gangbusters finisher at the rim. I, I don't think you can look at Drummond and expect that same thing. Like, I don't know. We I, I, Year after year, people play these games where it's like, all right, well, if they come to the Lakers, suddenly they're going to be really, really good. And right now, like KCP, THT, Schroeder, these guys aren't suddenly really, really good. Montrez Harrell isn't suddenly really, really good. So it's just always the next. It, it's, it's like we're talking about Michigan quarterbacks. The next guy is going to be the Heisman. Tom's cringing Who? right now. I don't know. I actually, I don't even know who the quarterback is right now. We don't. Have, we don't need to talk anymore about Michigan. But it's it's that mindset of like, yeah, in theory, I get it. But that only goes so far if you aren't good at those couple things. So sure, the context is going to be better. But that but there's, doesn't make there, there's no band aid right now that they could do. Like there's no mm-hmm. there's there's no fix to you having two your two superstars out. Like no, you I just agree with you. do whatever yeah. you can on the margins and Frank, then the team seemed to think they keep saying in this post game in quotes and um, like they, that they have enough to win with this group. And I don't know what else he's supposed to say, but I don't, so, you know, <laughs> no, so I agree I completely with him. Cause I, and, and we're talking about a lot about drumming cause this is likely going to happen once he's on the team. 
let's say a week from now, Marcus Saul's stamina is back where it needs to be. And he's able to play his, what did he, he only played like 20, 24 minutes a game anyway. Well, I don't remember what he was at, but it wasn't anything super high. Once he's doing what he's doing, Trez is adding his 25 minutes a game. Where does Drummond play? Does one of those three guys become a power forward? Does one of those three guys get cut from the rotation? Where, where's the path there? What does that look like? Just, is it goodbye, Trez, we're done with you? Like, I think there's an argument to be made that in some matchups where there's a little bit more size and athleticism against Mark, or maybe it's just the athleticism that you could try and again, chop Drummond and, and just to a body, but he's not Dwight Howard. He's not throwing his body around. Yep. This isn't a guy who just steps into uh, a defensive re- rebounding position to just to get a body. So someone else gets a board, you know, mm-hmm. he's big and he'll just jump and go get it, but that doesn't always work. So yeah, like, I get, I, I, yeah, I, I get it. Like, but rebounding will help. Um, they need size if they're going to – they're still playing Who are you Keith. playing? Who, who's sitting? Tell me who's sitting, Tom. Because I, I, that's the part I can't solve. I don't know, I don't know what to do. Is it, much, like, you're as saying much as it'd I be like a Mark, platoon based as, on who you're playing? As much as I love Mark, and I, you could see how much they needed him, I don't know if you can play him 20 minutes a game. Like physically, he's just struggling. And, you know. We had COVID. <laughs> Before the COVID, I think he was doing okay. He he was fine. But like, you know what I mean? There's no Mark gets to play 25 minutes now because uh, we're in the playoffs and it's not crunching time. It's like, that's not an option. It's another, it's it's like a two seam fastball when you already have a four seamer. I don't know Mm -hmm. baseball well enough to know the differences, but (laughs) they're like slight differences of the same thing. Basically it's insurance maybe. Yeah, Gasol had been playing, so he's at 19.9 minutes per game on the year. Trez yeah. is at 25.2. So if, let's say, we'll say 15 for Mark. Is that you're like, we're not going to push him too much. He's going to play, he's going to have an impact, but we'll reel it in a bit. And then maybe Trez plays 20. And then you have 13 for eight, uh, Drummond. I was called him AD. Play him at the one. Do it, Vogel. <laughs> 13 15 and and 20 i mean that gets you 48 that's the thing like i don't know this is tough because if you want size you want gasol out there if you want someone who's more mobile you you want trez out there and i don't see drummond as more mobile than gasol i mean I, i i don't know if you need to just post defense you take trez out you put We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Drummond and it's Drummond and Gasol at the five. I think that's the one stylistic scenario where I see him stealing a lot of minutes unless the Lakers just start sitting guys on some sort of platoon rotation. Like it's baseball or something. All right. Well, that's enough Andre Drummond talk for now. Let's do a quick break and we'll come back and talk about uh, what after Andre Drummond. There's still another spot. Lakers desperately need some shooting, you know, maybe some playmaking, like we said, post defense. So after the break, we'll talk about what else can the Lakers do besides Andre Drummond. 
All right, back from the break, Tim. I'm going to throw some names that you hear uh, as potential buyout guys. Now, not all of these guys have been bought out. Some of them have. We've mentioned so far um, Drummond, Aldridge, uh, Whiteside, Dang. There's also some guards who have been traded and thusly released. Uh, Jeff Teague, uh, you know Jabari Parker, forward who got cut. Uh, who else? Ben McLemore is an option. Austin Rivers is uh, something to keep an eye on. So I don't. I don't know, man. Is there something in here? And the one I didn't mention that I think is the clear and. I think we agree best option kind of just the best player available. Otherwise full stop that could get bought out is Otto Porter jr. Who got traded to the magic for Nikola Vucevic. And if Porter gets bought out, the Lakers would be really, really well equipped to slide him into some of those West minutes and give the Lakers some size and a, a pretty valid wing stopper uh, and an expiring contract. There's a lot of enthusiasm for Otto Porter Jr. in the Discord. A lot. And I'm with him. And I'm with you. He has legit shooting. He's been a legit shooter. He has some playmaking, which is more than a lot of guys. Um, And he's fairly versatile on defense. And I think he'd probably slot in as like a helper kind of guy, which is kind of where Danny Green was. So I think that's what you'd be looking for with a guy like that. You don't ask him to do too much, but he can handle the ball a little bit. He can make decisions. He can pass a bit and he adds shooting. And that I think is what you look for with him. The other guy that is similar ish. I think he'd be more a three and D wing would be Mo Harkless. If it gets bought out a three and D wing stopper with good, not as good shooting as Otto Porter jr. But that's another dude. That's like, yeah, he could pass a little bit. He's not going to be a ball handler. Um, he's not going to be a playmaker, but he can space the floor and he can play some defense. I think those are two guys that I, I have more interest in them than I would in Jabari Parker or Ben McLemore, which are t- the other two like wing names that I had had on my list just because I don't I question the shooting with them and I question the defense with both of them. So I, I think Porter and then Harkless from a wing standpoint would be who I'm looking at. I'll pull up Harkless in a second. I don't think he's been great so far. Part of why Miami was happy to let him go or comfortable enough. Uh, But yeah, Porter, to your point, catch and shoot three point percentage, 43.7, 90th percentile, uh, overall percentile, 40.9. Just really, really solid numbers for a three and D wing that, that could really fit in in a closing lineup. And, and he could like seriously AD, LeBron, Porter, KCP, Schroeder, Caruso, Schroeder, whatever you want. You know, that's a lineup with some size and and some helpability. Like that's that's intriguing with uh, maybe only Schroeder as a real weakness at the point of attack. Yeah. Yeah. Going to Harkless. I have an answer for your question of why he hasn't been as good for Miami this year. Mm -hmm. Here are his three point shot quality percentiles. From 2013 to now, this is the percentage of the league that his three-point shot quality is higher than 94%, 79%, 94%, 96%, 94%, 95%, and then this year, 53%. He's getting not easy looks, and he's very used to easy looks, and his three-point percentage is down despite his three-point shot making actually being higher than it was each of the last two seasons in the 68th percentile. He was somebody in the preseason in, in the offseason, we talked about if you bring him in, he'll be able to get high quality shots and he'll be below average on him for what he's getting. But because of that high quality, he'll give you good percentages. And we've seen that be the case on this Lakers team. We see KCP and Alex Caruso getting really high shot quality. We see other guys getting really high shot quality. We see Wes Matthews getting pretty good shot quality. Mo Harkless is someone we can get pretty good shot quality, certainly higher than what Miami has done for him this year. And that is how you suddenly see a rejuvenated guy because his shots get easier. I like that. I just, um, I don't know, Harkless. Like this is this is the guy I think at one point in Portland like stopped shooting because mm-hmm. he had gotten to his like percentile like, uh, incentive, you know. So like the last like month or two months of the season, he just like stopped shooting. I, I don't know. It's just like the idea of um, like Harkless and his agent going to Spo and being like, "Listen, you guys need to get my client some better shots." <laughs> because 
his track record <laughs> is not making him look as good as he isn't. <laughs> yeah. And the volume's always been fairly low and in this year he's played he's played like 150 minutes. So like <laughs> it, there's not a huge sample and he's not going to be any sort of prolific three-point shooter the way a Otto Porter Jr. would be. But if you're looking for a wing stopper, he's a name to keep an eye on. I think the Lakers actually are decent shape. I I I like who we have on the roster already in a way that would have me leaning more towards better shooting than Harkless. Though I think some of those guys are more in the guard options than the wing options. I just I don't after Otto Porter Jr. I don't like the other the other options. So yeah, Harkless what's the sh- what's even would be the shooting option? Because I agree, like it's shooting, Otto Porter Jr. It, that's it, right? That's the the option among wings. Yeah, but I mean among guards, like we mentioned, other guys. There's mm-hmm. also Glenn Robinson has been on your radar. Kings bought him out. A month or so ago, we mentioned uh, LeCue from Indiana, uh, I think, got bought out. You know, I don't know. They're just random fringe guys, you know, or are you going to sign Jamal Crawford or Isaiah Thomas, like I mentioned? Where else is the shooting coming from? It's not always ready available. Uh, Wayne Ellington is sharpshooter. He, I believe, will be available. That would Um, be very helpful. Like, like legit, like 99th percentile. Yeah. Pretty much year after year, three point shot maker. So there's a lot he can't do. He's not going to be a playmaker. A He's one. not going to play defense. He's going to be a legit shooter. So if you're concerned about just having shooters on the floor for a team that's already very good defensively, maybe you can take a little bit of a step back in order to have a guy out there that you absolutely can trust and know that can run off of off ball screens. Um, you brought up Glenn Robinson. His three point shooting has been decent this year. His three-point shot quality has actually been pretty high. So, I don't know. There, again, there's stuff that he can't do, but if you need someone to just go out and hit some threes and run off of some pin downs and flare screens, he can be similar in that kind of way. Among the other guard options, I have Corey Joseph, who's not a shooter, but he's probably the most legit playmaker of the guard options I'm looking at, and he can run some ball screens. and Like, he's an okay playmaker. Like The, the playmaking options aren't good, but he... Is like legitimate, can handle the ball, can run set plays, can make some of the simple reads. Um, so if you're looking for just some some ball handling and playmaking, that's where I'd focus my effort. If you're looking for shooting, I'd look at Ellington, Avery Bradley, if he becomes available, three and D point of attack defender. Um, Jeff Teague is his own style of guy in that he's been good as a shooter. He's very much a shot creator. He's not a playmaker for others and his defense is poor. But if you just need some offense created by somebody that that can also be spacing off ball, he does that, as does Austin Rivers. Again, shooter, shot creator. His passing is actually okay, not as bad as, as, uh, you know, he's a little bit more willing than Teague. Again, bad defense. But there are two, like, instant offense shot creator kind of guys that can be off ball floor spacers as well. And I think that, for me, those are the guards that I've had my eye on. So I think Ellington is where I'd look. Um, Bradley, if he's available, I'd look there and the Lakers are certainly familiar. Corey Joseph would be going in a different direction. And then if you want shot creation, Rivers or Teague. Yeah. Rivers was one I was going to bring up again. There's some decent shooting there. Um, not terrible finishing a little bit of playmaking, but not, not a ton. So Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of options out there, man. Uh, Like I said, OPJ is kind of the ceiling get, and I expect he will have many suitors if he does get bought out. Um, But I I don't know. Like, are you holding out hope for Jeff Teague? Like that's not going to, that's not going to solve anything. Short term. I think it would be someone that can score some points. I don't think so. So let's look at it this way. Let's say it's short term. Let's say before wait, no LeBron, no AD pick two players full scope of what we've looked at that you think would be the best fits now. Pick a big, a big man and then a guard or a wing that we've talked about. I mean, it's, it's Drummond and Porter. Okay. I think that's where I am. And then I think long term LeBron's back, AD's back, Gasol's healthy. Looking at the playoffs, I'm looking for a big man that kind of adds something that we don't have. And then I'm looking for probably some shooting. I think I'd still go Porter. Yeah. Porter and then 
I wouldn't go Drummond. I think instead of Drummond, I think I'd want either Whiteside or Jones. I think I'd go I, – I, I really like Damian Jones and what he brought. I think that's where I am. What about a guy's uh, – I wouldn't hate Dang or uh, Dwayne Dedman, I believe, is still out there. I don't I know why Dedman. Dwayne Dedman doesn't have a team and hasn't all season. I'm not yeah, sure what's I would going imagine on there. Because he's not been in any rumors anywhere, my assumption is that he has retired and isn't actively working out trying to get stuff because – I know agents can go talk to media people and like get them to insert things. And we haven't heard his name inserted into anything at all. So I may, I, I just don't know if there's a willingness there. Just like Darren Collison, like may, may, like nobody seems, none of the teams seem interested. He's not a name that's popping up in a bunch of the, the like blog or website rumors. Um, he's not in the reports. So I, I don't, I've kind of, discounted looking at him whereas last offseason before 30 teams you know didn't go after him for like a full year i i was much more open to what he would provide i think the writing's on the wall yeah um i don't know I and mean, the only other one that you mentioned to me that i'd be somewhat open to is bradley but it's it's not a need. It would be, again, just more of like an insurance ad. But mm-hmm. insurance ads, not necessarily bad. If you can do <coughs> that without giving something up substantial, um, and what else are you going to do? If you can't get the high upside play in Porter, you know, just get a Bradley or something. I would be fine yeah. with that. I would be what fine. Bradley would bring would be he would be your backup point of attack defender. He can play point guard. LeBron will actually handle the ball. Um, or, or maybe even start him for over Schroeder. I don't know. Schroeder and, and Bradley would be your point of attack defenders. He would bring shooting. He would allow you to probably cut THT from the rotation and playoff times, time so you don't have to worry about defense or spacing. Or for Wes Matthews, if, if Wes Matthews continues to be played as a shooting guard, s- slotted out of his ideal defensive role and his shot isn't falling. I, I think it provides some insurance just like you're talking about, but in a way that I can see translating somewhat well um unless like right now Wes isn't someone I want in my playoff rotation unless he continues to get better from a shooting standpoint um so and same thing with THT so plus I mean I know he wasn't in the bubble but familiarity with the the organization the system with Vogel it all like makes sense it's 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 free Mm -hmm. it's free it's free money yeah yeah, with LeBron and AD too. Yeah. You don't have to get them familiar with someone. Yeah, right this now. guy started for the majority of his time with the Lakers. Uh, his his issues are mostly injury uh, related and staying available. Uh, and if he's uh, lower on the poll, you know, you still have THT. What they didn't last year, as he's kind of developing in the G League. So, I and this is like I'm not saying this is a great move. Again, it's just kind of like I'm fine with it. It's better than an empty roster spot. The thing that kind of confused me, Tim, is um, still having Kaycock and Antetokounmpo by this point in the season. You're really starting to feel like those extra roster spots. Like, I'm not sure why they brought those guys back. Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's goodwill. They they saw something in them that the, you know they didn't expect to need them. I mean, you still have a dead roster space with Dudley, you know, like tearing his MCL. Yep. So uh, there's another thing. Like Dudley, just give him an assistant coaching job, right? Like I, if you want him around in because these roster spots, you can see a couple guys get injured, and now with COVID, even with two two way spots that you can now play full time, basically these guys just aren't playable. So they have to dig into the buyout market even deeper. Yeah. I think the Lakers not unloading Alfonso McKinney was impactful. That was the one thing at the deadline that I was just expecting to see. That was like the only thing for sure. I was like, all right, well they they have to do that. They like, why not free up another roster spot? He's getting paid more than some of these other guys. It would have been, would have been an impactful move for the Lakers. And like we're looking through these buyout names, it'd be great if we can add four of these names instead of two of them. Because right now it's like the if you want short term, you maybe want different guys than that long term playoff upside sort of so approach. Split the baby, and, and the insurance guys are somewhere in there yeah. too. If you could split the baby yeah. and do both, 
I'd be much more excited yeah. about this buyout market because I wouldn't have to say, all right, well, I think we need this more than that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it's it's an unfortunate situation, but we'll we'll see how the Lakers are able to to approach it. Again, fully expecting Drummond. I'm excited to well, I don't know if excited is the right word. I'm interested to see how the defensive scheme changes with him. Is he just going to continue to be a drop big? It's not a huge change. It's just something that in the playoffs won't be uh, something you want to go to. Even with Marcus Saul, they've used the the catch hedging with mm-hmm. him. Do they suddenly do that with Drummond? Kalevan actually did a little bit of it this year, and I was watching the film, and it was not pretty. I tweeted out some of the pictures of him just getting blown by. Um, so if he does come in the door, I think the Lakers, from a development standpoint, just technically, technique-wise, not like improve his physical skills or something. Technique-wise, you can make more of him than he has been. I don't know how realistic it is to expect those changes to come soon or at all, but there's... I don't know. There are areas for opportunity that if the Lakers can capitalize on, they can make more of the player than would be coming in the door. Areas of opportunity is going to be the theme of this next month. Um, Opportunity to learn, to grow, to get better, to do more than you're comfortable with maybe. So um, yeah, I, there's no answer. Like I said before, there's no right answer to the short term of you can't just get another guy to plug into that role and then he's gone by playoffs. It just doesn't work that way. So they just got to f- figure some things out. And um, I don't know, some things just quickly touch on growth. THT, another left-handed layup in that Philly game. He was going in. He took a charge, Tim. He tried to take another one. So it was like weak side defensive rotations are starting to get a little bit better uh, with him starting mm-hmm. to tag the role man, but then he'll, you know, get completely lost and the Lakers three point defense is particularly bad against the Sixers. But uh, yeah, shooter started to pass a little bit out of his drives uh, with some nice, like crazy skip passes to KCP in the corner uh, driving kicks, you know, uh, there's some some small things, but Trez can't just be this guy who's cleaning up garbage and that has six points through three quarters, you know, mm-hmm. like they, he has to be one of their best offensive players, which he technically is right now. He's just he can't just be a clean it up guy anymore for this stretch. Yep, I agree. He his he can't be a dump off garbage man. He, he can do that when the team's fully healthy. Yeah. Given what's going on, you have to be able to be more. And, like, we talk about, oh, like, these guys aren't, like, so they're not supposed to be number one, two, and three options. But they came to this team with the big, like, added benefit of, yeah, Dennis Schroeder was the offense in OKC. He was their one or two scoring option. Montrezl Harrell was, you know, six, six man in yeah. the year, but he was, like, number two in, like, minutes and scoring possessions in the Clippers or something like that last year. Like, these guys are offense. They should be offense. They have been offense. And it just, has, for some guys, it's translated more than others, but we need Trez to, to step it up a bit. And I want to shout out KCP. I think KCP, he's he's had some ups, he's had some downs. I look at his like three point percentage by month. He went from like fifty three percent in five games in December to forty six percent in January to thirty two percent in February. To he's now forty one percent in ten games in March. So he's had a good yeah. bounce back month. He is moving well. Yeah. He's firing with a little bit more confidence. Big picture on the season, and and he obviously started off hot, but big picture on the season, his three point shot making rating is higher than 70 i'm sorry 80.6 percent of players this year Hmm. last year was higher than 79.3 percent so he's actually a little bit higher on the year as a whole so plenty of more time for like another slump to drop that down but like big picture he's done okay wes on the other hand he went from good 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 to not so good this year so we need to see him get that confidence back and start shooting well because you don't want to go into the playoffs with you know, LeBron, 85th percentile three-point shot making. Kuz, 80th percentile. Caruso, 69th percentile. All good. Gasol, 64th percentile. That's good. And then you have 80 in the 31st percentile. Not good. West, 23rd percentile. Not good. Schroeder, 22nd percentile. Not good. Keith, 19th percentile. Not good. THT, 17th percentile. Not good. And then you add Drummond. He's not a shooter at all. So with all of that, you have some questionable three-point shooting. You you need KCP to stay with it. You need Kuz to keep playing well. You would love to see Keith and Wes increase in their three-point shooting capabilities. And then if you're able to add some of these shooters like we talked about, I think that could be really beneficial just for that reason. You don't want to have one or two guys on the court at all times that 
the defense just won't respect as shooters. And in the regular season, we've seen a couple teams go after that more than others. Most teams haven't really punished the Lakers for that. Once you get to the playoffs, it's going to be much more consistent and like teams saying, all right, well, if we don't need to guard THT, we're not going to guard THT. If we don't need to guard, like if Keith isn't hitting threes and he's still not hitting threes, same thing with Wes, like, yeah, we'll, we'll go send some extra help on LeBron or AD. And then you go make that skip pass and it'll be semi-contested and yeah. they'll brick it. The Sixers got, I think, like several defensive three-second violations because they gave no shits about THT on the weak side. And, like, it's yeah. just, it's so bad when you see just five red shirts in yep. the paint, just, and no one's out there. Like, they're not, they don't care at all. You know, Danny Green is is helping for a reason. All these guys, they're not just getting lost. They're, they're constricting onto the ball, you know, and that makes yeah. it tough for these other guys. It goes from not important to holy crap, this is bad, purely based on how much the defense actually game plans and pays attention to it. And we've seen multiple teams game plan and pay attention to it. And like this is another reminder of that. Once it gets to the playoffs, all of the teams are going to be game planning yeah. and paying attention to that. So it's it's something that you can't ignore now because it doesn't seem like an issue because you need to realize it's not an issue now, even though it will be then. All right, man. Well, I think that's a good place to stop for now. We will turn our eye to a little bit more on the court stuff next time as uh, painful as that may be. It's it's tough, but we watch the games uh, so you don't have to. If 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 you really want to take this month off, we will watch the games, tell you what uh, they could do better and hopefully, you know, figure out a, a way to steal some wins here in the next month or so. But until then, uh, we'll we'll talk to you guys next time.